I'm Scott Abraham from ABC7 in Washington, D.C. You know who it is. Travis Thomas Experience. This is Eric Edholm of Yahoo Sports. This is Mitch Tischler. This is Al Galdi, and you're listening to The Big Douglas Show. All right, this is The Big Douglas Show, and we have double-dipped the PFF crew today. Austin Gale and our very own Nick Ackridge joins the show. Thanks, guys. Absolutely. Thanks for having us. It is Friday, so we will start with the birthday game. I'll read out some celebrities, and uh, you guys guess try to guess how old they are. It is Reese Witherspoon had a birthday this week. How old do you think Reese Witherspoon is? I'm going to say 48. I'll go 44. Reese is 45. 45 this week for Reese Witherspoon. It is J.J. Watt's birthday this week. J.J. Watt? Yep. He is, I think, 31. Yeah, I think 31 or 32 sounds right. JJ turned 32 this week. Uh, William Shatner has a birthday this week. William Shatner. Maybe 71. 60. I'm going to say 64. The captain turned 90. Oh, my God. With 90. It's incredible. Uh, Kyrie Irving. Has a birthday this week. How do you think Kyrie Irving? 27. You say 28. Kyrie turned 29. And the last one, Shaka Khan has a birthday this week. Shaka Khan. No clue. I have no idea. I don't even know who that is. <laughs> 55. Oh, all right. Well, Google Shaka Khan. 68 this week for the for the soul singer, Shaka Khan. All right, fellas. Well, I asked around, got some questions for today. Before we get into the mailbag, let's start off the one at Spider Strip brought up a great one. In, in the ever-moving NFL, there's the debate between what is more important now, back-end coverage or front-end pressures. Uh, before we got started today, I gave each one of you a side. Uh, Austin, let's start with you, who I think got the back-end, right? Yeah, so for coverage, you know, we have at PFF both uh, Dr. Eric Eager and then George Chahuri, who have been working on the research and development team for, I think, a little over three years, maybe even close to four years now, did some research on just how valuable on the football field is a coverage unit versus a pass rushing unit. And right now, while well, we see that the more valuable unit, according to that research, is the coverage, coverage ability, high-end coverage ability. That, and the big thing with coverage ability is forcing the quarterback to hold the ball longer, which obviously, you know, pays dividends for pass rushers up front. I've talked to multiple pass rushers, probably most notably Josh Allen, the Jacksonville Jaguars edge defender, who said time and time again, our defensive coordinators and stuff were saying, just give those guys one more second. I think you see that with some of the top coverage units in the NFL. Like what the Baltimore Ravens done, I think really speaks to that value over coverage versus pass rush. Well, they're letting Matthew Judon go. They're letting you know, Terrell Suggs walk. They're not necessarily Darius Smith. They're not letting, they're not paying these guys, letting Michael Pierce go. They're not paying these guys up front and valuing guys like Marcus Peters, Earl Thomas in the past, uh, Marlon Humphrey. They're valuing guys on the back end because they think they can win with how they develop young pass rushers up front while investing kind of big dollars in the coverage unit. I will say this though, before Nick obviously argues the other side, is that Pass rushers are more stable. Good pass rushers year over year are more stable. You'll see a TJ Watt if he grades well, consistently grading well over the years. You'll see the same with Khalil Mack, Aaron Donald. It is easier to be good as a pass rusher and maintain that ability considering what we have from a data perspective on winning in those one-on-one situations. In coverage, you know, you could have 
a lot of volatility there. It's harder to be very good from scheme to scheme, be very good from year to year. It's a lot more difficult, a lot more factors. There's so many, you know, pat, rushing the passer is so much more binary than playing in coverage. Rushing the passer is beating someone in front of you one-on-one. So either you win or you lose. While in coverage, it's are you targeted or are you not targeted? Are you playing zone or are you playing man? Are you working the slot or are you working outside? Are you playing safety, are you playing corner? There's so many more variables to a point where it's less predictive for, say, a Marlon Humphrey to be very good and very productive, very efficient one year, and then that same next year. So I do think that teams still invest in pass rush because it's a more known commodity. It's more stable. It's sticky year over year. Well, when you can hit that lightning in a bottle like the Bucks did with Antoine Winfield Jr. and um, Carlton Davis, Sean Murphy Bunting, like they, when you hit lightning in a bottle with coverage, it can be very, very successful. However, it's very difficult to maintain that level of success year over year. Yeah, and to sort of go off of that stability thing, we, I mean, we saw it right here with Washington with Ronald Darby. I mean, he came off of uh, two years ago with the Eagles, one of the worst coverage grades we've ever seen. And then this past year, um, bumped up to like a 70-plus grade. And, and that's sort of the stability issue you talk about with coverage. It goes back and forth. It's just year after year. You, you have no idea what you're getting. And so, Nick, um, Washington has, if nothing else, that defensive line. So how important is it to stick with that defensive line? Let's, we actually can roll in a question from uh, at Manny Jacuba. I think I said that right. Who is said, what is, um, you know, how do we pay these guys, right? Because we're going to have a bunch of these guys coming up. They're going to need money. And how, how do we, we and Jonathan Allen, Deron Payne, both edges. Can you pay all four? I can start there. I, I just don't, I say no, you know, it, it's very difficult to pay really good pass rushers in the NFL when in a world where Trey Hendrickson is making $15 million per year, it's going to be very difficult to pay really talented pass rushers with a ton of athleticism, a ton of, I mean, Leonard Floyd is getting $16.5 million per year. Like if you want to pay Montez Sweat, Chase Young, Deron Payne, you're not going to be able to do it. That's why I do think that you have to go the Ravens or even the Patriots of old route, letting Chandler Jones go, letting Trey Flowers go, moving on from these guys, getting the compensatory picks for those pass rushers. And while Chandler Jones has had a ton of success outside of New England, Trey Flowers has even had some success in Detroit, letting them go and getting either picks and, and trade value or compensatory picks and value can be very helpful in just reinvesting in the defensive line because I believe there's a little bit of a market inefficiency in pass rushers right now, the highest paid non-quarterbacks in the NFL rush the passer. 12 of the 16 highest paid non-quarterbacks in the NFL rush the passer. It's too much money. And you can get John Johnson, arguably the best safety on the market this past offseason, for $11 million a year, but have to pay Trey Hendrickson or Carl Lawson $15 million per year to play for your football team. There's obvious market inefficiency in terms of how much pass rushers are dollar figure valued. So I do think that the Washington football team would be smart to either play the compensatory pick formula game a little bit, or look for trade value for some of these guys and start to reinvest with high draft picks in the defensive line. Yeah. And to sort of go back on whether like the pass rush more valuable and coverage sort of thing. I mean, I, I just read my mentions whenever I mention it. And it's just like talking about chase young, chase young, chase young, chase young. They're winning in, they're winning in two under two seconds. It's just, that's not something that's really feasible. Um, I mean, I guess to sort of play devil devil's advocate here, if, if you can get guys that are constantly winning in under two seconds and one and a half seconds, then sure. Coverage probably doesn't matter at that point, but it's just so rare to constantly, constantly win that quickly. Um, and so that's sort of the only um, point I have, I guess, to saying pass rushes is more valuable than coverage. Where do, where do you start with those? Who do you think, Nick, that we 
look to pay there is that Jonathan Allen, who they've apparently already begun talks with. I mean, I guess it tells you where they go there. And the two edges, uh, you can't keep both. And of course, the fan base assumes that Chase Young is more valuable than Deshaun Watson. So, I mean, it, it's hard to take what uh, fans are very excited about the young guys, and I understand that. Yeah, it's it's tough. When you're a fan, you just fall in love with Chase Young just because of the way he plays football and all that sort of stuff. But I, I think when you're talking about those interior guys, I think it starts with, with Jonathan Allen. Um, Deron Payne is more of a run-stuffing, one-tag, nose-tackle sort of guy. Um, I think Jonathan Allen is just more versatile. Uh, he's better at rushing the passer, all that sort of stuff. So if, if you're picking one guy that you want to pay, I think it's Jonathan Allen. I think it starts there. Um, I do love Deron Payne. I think what he does is something it, it, it's hard to sort of measure what he does, but um, I think it starts and ends with Jonathan Allen inside at least. Yeah, I think you have to get creative. You have to get creative with how you're going to pay these guys. I do think wanting to keep talent in-house, like what the Tampa Bay Buccaneers have done, the first team, I think, since 1979 to return all 22 starters after winning the Super Bowl. If you want to do that level of bringing guys back, I think you get to have, you have to get creative with void years. You have to extend guys and, and set up interesting cap you know, uh, tricks, you know, bells and whistles to make sure you get your guys back. But I also don't think the last thing you want to do at pass rusher is overpay. You don't want to be in a situation where you're paying um, Frank Clark as the third highest paid player in the NFL next year. You know, if you overpay the wrong guy along the defensive line, it's very easy to get into a situation where let me let, let me know if a team comes to mind here. You cut both your starting offensive tackles. You can't sign Trent Williams. You can't sign Juju Smith-Schuster, all these different things. You're the Kansas City Chiefs in a situation where you can't really bring in a ton of talent because you're cap strapped. I think it's it's a dangerous game to start paying your guys and to start bringing all these guys back on multi-year deals. You have to slow play in some ways, offer the franchise tag, do those things. Look at what the New York Giants have done. Double franchise and ta- double franchise tagging Leonard Williams. And now only Aaron Donald makes more money than Le- Leonard Williams. You know, you don't want to be paying Jerome Payne that money. You don't want to be paying Jonathan Allen that money. As much as good as they are, you have to avoid those contracts if you want to build a legitimate, you know, Super Bowl caliber roster. Uh Nick, you had mentioned Dunbar, or not Dunbar, um, and not his name, his... Darby? Darby, yes. Both are um, I, I, I know it got me. I thought maybe that's who they would have tried to resign, it, and apparently they did. Um, it's amazing. William Jackson is a significant upgrade, though, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I think I think it definitely is. Um, like I said with Darby, he's, so, he's been so inconsistent with his career. I, I think for me to shell out that sort of money, I think it was, what, $10 million per year? over three years, um, I would need to see it at least more than just one year. Uh, he, he struggled with injury, struggled with consistency. So to me, I think it was smart of Washington to not pay him that money. Um, if it works out for Denver, I believe it was, if it works out for Denver, um, then they're great for them. But I just think it's too big of a risk. And I think you see William Jackson, who signed 15 per year, I believe, 15 per year, is someone who's proven it year and year and year, year over year, all the time that he's, he's one of the best man-to-man corners shut down corners in the NFL. So I think at worst, it's a lateral move. You know, I think William Jackson at worst is going to play to the level that Ronald Darby played last year, in my opinion. And at best you see what William Jackson was in 2017 when they're they were running more man heavy looks in Cincinnati. The, the Bengals defense over the past two or three years has run a very interesting scheme considering the player personnel that they do have. Lou Anarumo has not done a lot of exciting things with that personnel unit. And also they haven't had a good pass rush really since Geno Atkins prime. So I do think William Jackson going to Washington 
you could see some career years from the kid. That's how good William Jackson was. It's why he was drafted so highly, uh, you know, a few years ago out of Houston. I think it was well-deserved money for William Jackson. It's wild that the Cincinnati Bengals were willing to pay Trey Waynes that same dollar figure, but let William Jackson walk. That's that's insane to me. You talk about a team that didn't let didn't keep their guys. William Jackson leaves. Uh, Carl Lawson leaves both at similar figures, and then they go pay Trey Hendrickson and Trey Waynes at same positions at the same money. That's not developing, obviously, a locker room culture you necessarily want in uh, Queen City. You brought up Tampa Bay earlier, and I've been throwing around this Tampa Bay scenario type thing of, of a way to build a team. It, it, maybe it's too hard to do this, but a team like Washington could spend another two years loading the roster with draft picks. And then a team like, say, the Falcons next year move on from Matt Ryan. You think teams will will try that Tampa Bay model, if you will? I mean, I know Brady is a bit of an outlier because he's Brady. But there is also something to be said to stack a roster and then get a guy in his mid-30s that you're not necessarily playing top-end quarterback money to. Do you think that's a team a thing that other teams will, will, will attempt to do? I don't necessarily see it as a model just because I think there's only two teams that really have struck gold doing this. And it's the Denver Broncos from a few years ago when they signed Peyton Manning. And then obviously the Tampa Bay Buccaneers with Tom Brady. Whenever there's a future Hall of Fame quarterback available in free agency willing to take a team friendly deal and you already have a good roster. Yeah, you should do it. But I just don't think it's that easy of a process to do. Regardless, you always want to be drafting at valuable positions and building up your roster. And that I think is a model of consistency or model you could follow for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, where they obviously invested in the secondary with Carlton Davis, Sean Murphy Bunting, Antoine Winfield Jr., even MJ Stewart, and they just kept going. Vernon Hargraves did not keep them from continuing to invest in a very valuable area of a football roster, and that being the secondary. And also, they've done a good job of um, developing pass rushers. I mean, Shaquille Barrett wasn't that good when he got to Tampa Bay. Vita Vea has consistently improved in Tampa Bay. I do, Jason Pierre-Paul was at the tail end of his career with three fingers when he went to Tampa Bay. Like, I do think they've done a really good job developing the defensive line there. And offensively, they just continue to hit on receiver talent as well. Tyler Johnson, I love that pick. Chris Godwin obviously has had success in Tampa Bay. Mike Evans has done well there. Cameron Bray, I mean, they've had a lot of success at developing talent there in Tampa Bay, drafting good players. They were just always a quarterback away. Welcome to the rest of the NFL. You know, so much of the NFL is a quarterback away at points because they have a good roster. I'd say Denver is close to that. I'd say Carolina is close to that. Uh, New England's obviously uh, not that close to that as they were, but you saw what happens when you lose Tom Brady. You become from this dynasty consistently competing for a Super Bowl to automatically a bottom five roster in the NFL. Quarterback matters so much, obviously. And I think the Tampa Bay Buccaneers were a quarterback away and they got one. Yeah, I think if you're depending on finding a, a top three quarterback of all time to build your to build your Super Bowl team, it's just not going to be a successful path. Now, if Aaron Rodgers comes to free agency, that's a different story. But I think if you're trying, if you're trying to bank on the fact that you'll get a top five quarterback of all time in free agency, I think it's it's not the best strategy. I could be wrong here. I'm, I'm fairly certain I'm right. Pierre Paul now has more sacks with the Bucks post injury than he did with the Giants, which to me is incredible. I don't have that stat off the top of my head, but I wouldn't be surprised. He's had a lot of a lot of success there. And I think, you know, sacks specifically are noisy and very volatile. You know, you can have seasons where you have a ton of sacks and then none. I think what's what's more interesting is what the Buccaneers have done along that entire defensive line, like adding a ton of talent. Like it's easier to get sacks when you're playing along a very good defensive line. Leonard Williams with Aaron Donald, obviously Trey Hendrickson with Cameron Jordan and those guys, like I do think that sacks are more of a product and I think that's why ESPN you see working with next gen stats 
uh, to create a metric like SACS created. And I think there's a lot of, that, that metric has a lot of links. You know, SACS created is something that I think we could start to hear more of and even PFF start to look at as well because that's what, that's what SACS are. SACS are created more often than they're earned in, in the NFL. I think they're created by other players and pressures and forcing the quarterback to hold the ball and all those different things. I think it's going to be interesting to see how the, you know, the NFL views like things like SACS created and obviously how players kind of move into those roles. Yeah, and to speak of that sacks created, Montez Sweat sort of thrived on that this year. I mean, you have all of that talent along the D-line, Chase Young hitting triple team, double team. You got Jonathan Allen, Deron Payne, Tim Settle at times. And it just frees up other guys to get one-on-one matchups, and Montez Sweat's good enough to win those. And he, I mean, he just he just thrived with having all that talent around him. Is the Sam linebacker becoming extinct? You know, are we moving there? Are we, are we on the precipice of that just not being a thing? We got to get Seth on here for that one. Yeah, Seth. Yeah, Seth Galina wrote a really cool article for PFF.com. And I don't think it's so much that the the Sam linebacker is going extinct. If you dive into that article, it's more that you know it's it's no longer being called that. It's more often called like you know it's it's more often a defensive back these days. You know, you look at the top of that article. He talks about how base defense has just slowly died. Like teams aren't putting three linebackers on the football field anymore. You know, in two thousand six. You know, the NFL average for base defense play, that's, you know, either four defensive linemen, three linebackers, or three defensive linemen, four linebackers. The average was over 55%. Now, 24%. No one is putting three linebackers on the football field anymore because you need athletes on the football field. You need guys that can cover on the football field and you need more speed. So I don't think it's necessarily the position that's dying. It's just the body type that's dying. You know, linebackers are being asked to play closer and closer to 215, 220 pounds these days. And I was talking to, who was it? Drew Tranquil, who was getting drafted out of Notre Dame by the Los Angeles Chargers. And he said one of his concerns on his scouting profile was he did, you know, didn't have good weight, weighed in around 215, 220. He talked to teams that said, could you get down to 210? You know, that, that's what teams want. You know, teams don't want 240-pound linebackers anymore. And obviously you have freaks like Micah Parsons who are 240-plus and run a 4-3, but there's not a lot of guys like that. You, know, you need guys that can run very fast, be very good from a change of direction perspective, and almost don't really care if they're weighing closer to 210 than they are to 250. You mentioned Parsons, so let's get to the draft a little bit. Washington picks at 19. We have plenty of mailbag questions about what direction to go there. I would assume that linebacker is not it, but what do you think at 19 is most reasonable? Hmm, I'll let Austin take most of the draft stuff because that's where he lives, but I'll I'll throw my hat in for a couple of picks here. I love Rashad Bateman. Um, If any of those top three corners, Farley, Sertan, um, J.C. Horn fall there, I love those picks. If Micah Parsons falls to 19, I'm sprinting the, to the podium. I love Micah Parsons. Um, that's sort of where I'm looking at. And obviously, if you get a QB at fall to 19, which just isn't going to happen after all the trades today, you take that quarterback. I keep leaning into Mac Jones. I'm, I'm back and forth on Mac Jones. Don't really know where I sit with him yet. Um, but those are sort of my guys at, at 19. Yeah, I mean, I have uh, in a mock draft coming up that if Mac Jones does fall to 19, I think the Washington football team would be smart to invest in Mac Jones as a developmental quarterback if he does become available. But the more we look at this class, I do think that you're going to see four or five quarterbacks off the board by maybe, by maybe pick 15 with the New England Patriots maybe being the floor for Mac Jones. It's just, again, it's a quarterback-driven league, and the teams are finding that out more and more. You look at the four quarterbacks that played in either the AFC or NFC championship game last year, four of the five highest graded quarterbacks played in those games. And the only quarterback that didn't was Deshaun Watson, who we obviously know all the stuff that went down in Houston last year and him not having the success we expected. But 
I do think that Mac Jones at 19 would be a dream if he does fall that far. If not, you could start to look at Rashad Bateman to continue to add to this receiving core. And then I go back to this, you know, it's not, I rarely lock into positions of low value in the first round. If I'm the Washington football team, even with all the success I've had along the defensive line, I'm still looking at pass rusher. I'm still looking at offensive tackle. I'm still looking at wide receiver and corner. What I'm avoiding is running back, linebacker, box safety. It just doesn't make a ton of sense from a positional value perspective. And this is even beyond what you think is the most valuable on the football field. I think linebackers matter more than safeties on the football field. I don't care about that. It's about the market. And right now, box, box players like safeties and linebackers, interior uh, offensive linemen and running backs and tight ends are paid at the lowest amount of any position in the NFL. So why, if the NFL is going to hand you a cost-controlled rookie contract, regardless of position, are you going to take one of those low-paid positions? You know, if you draft, you know, it's, it's an example where Saquon Barkley was drafted at number two overall. And immediately on that contract that comes with the number two overall pick was the top five highest paid running back in the NFL. You do that with a different position like offensive tackle, they rank outside the top 30, top 40. That is the cheat code in the NFL. That's where you see successful teams winning in the NFL. It's not about hitting on a player. It's about hitting on a valuable position. So that way you don't have to pay a Trey Hendrickson $15 million per year. You don't have to pay Jake Matthews $23 million per year on the open market at those valuable positions. To that point, do we find Kyle Pitts going in the top 10? And is that because he's an outlier? So the tight end position is interesting because I do think obviously tight ends are paid very low. And I think the reason for that is, again, that the franchise tag keeps them from really breaking the bank. Some people thought that George Kittle on a new contract could get wide receiver money. It's like, no, the San Francisco 49ers kind of have him by the balls in a little bit. It's like, hey, if you want wide receiver money, like 22, 23 million, we'll just tag you. And guess how much the tag is? Like 11. So you better be ready to take just a small market setting deal rather than kind of breaking the bank and thinking you can have this monster deal that changes the history of the NFL and at the position. So Taysom Hill is a different situation. You know, it's a, if he, him being listed as a quarterback, if they franchise tagged him, technically it would be a quarterback tag, which would obviously be freaking bonkers if the New Orleans Saints did that. But Mickey Loomis has done some crazy things in the past. But, but I think the conversation is interesting with tight end because of positional scarcity. You know, the reason running backs aren't super valuable is because there's so many good ones. Tight ends aren't super valuable because of the market. You know, they're not paid a ton of money. So why would you invest at the position? However, there aren't a ton of good ones. There's three. There's three like elite game-changing tight ends in the NFL, Darren Waller, George Kittle, and Travis Kelsey. If you're, in, if you're confident in your evaluation that Pitts can be one of those guys, and I think a lot of people are, including myself, then you do sprint the card in for a Kyle Pitts at five, you know, inside the top five or top 10 picks. Yeah, I mean, I pretty much agree. Every single time I've watched Kyle Pitts, it's he's just a freak. He doesn't fit as a tight end. He doesn't fit as a wide receiver, and that's kind of perfect for what you really want. Um, so, yeah, if, if he miraculously falls to 19, I'd be – going crazy but i it just don't think it's gonna happen and and the numbers and the strategy also says that say a guy like pitts or parsons for some reason makes it around to 10 trading up from 19 to 10 still not the right move for anything short of quarterback correct i don't love it personally seeing how much it would cost to come up from 19 to 10 from a picks perspective to grab you know, a low value position is just, it's, it's not on Michael Parsons. It's not his fault. It's not, it's not because Michael Parsons isn't good enough. It's because it's just so hard for Michael Parsons to be as good as the picks you're giving up to go get him. You know, if you're going to give up a future second round pick or say two future second round picks for one player, it's going to be very difficult for Michael Parsons to be as good as those players you could grab, especially when you consider the market and those rookie contracts that you're losing on your cap, like all that stuff comes into play. It's why, 
you know, some people are saying, you know, San Francisco 49ers with the trade, we haven't even talked about the biggest elephant in the room, I guess, but with this trade coming up, you know, some people are saying, oh, they traded two first round picks, but maybe they're not going after a quarterback. You'd have to be absolutely absurd living under a rock to trade two first round picks. And because you don't include obviously the 12 and the three pickers are kind of just swapping there two first round picks to get a non quarterback. It would be absolutely absurd. Like that is just not getting the most value out of your uh, resources. We, we were talking briefly about this before we started recording here. Nick and I were, there's no way they traded up there. It's been circulated that it's for Mac Jones, but that can't, that can't be real, right? So it's interesting. I, I do think that I am less keen on saying there's no way they take Mac Jones than I am on there's no way they take a quarterback. I do think that it's more likely than them not taking a quarterback because, again, Look at what, you know, Kyle Shanahan kind of has a type. You know, Kyle Shanahan was, you know, interested in Kirk Cousins. Kyle Shanahan kind of has liked Jimmy Garoppolo, C.J. Bethard, Nick Mullins. And while he's had guys like RG3 in the past, he had his most success with Matt Ryan, which is, again, a pocket passer, quick decision maker who's accurate. Look at Chris Sims, who obviously has a connection and relationship with um, Kyle Shanahan. His number three quarterback in the class isn't Fields or um, Trey Lance. It's Mac Jones. And I think Kyle Shanahan, if Chris Sims can see the class with Mac Jones as the number three quarterback, Kyle Shanahan can definitely see the class as Mac Jones as the number three quarterback. It's no way from a media perspective, because obviously we're flocking to arm talent. We're flocking to sex appeal. Trey Lance, Justin Fields, they do all these things that are so awesome to see. However, if there was a quarterback, you know, or a former court, uh, a head coach in the NFL that like would like Mac Jones ahead of some of these other guys, I think it could be Kyle Shanahan. I'm not ready to say no way. I would take either Fields or Lance, but um, I, I do think that's an option. Yeah, I think I'm in the same boat. It would be Fields or Lance for me, but Mac Jones is boring, but he's he's a good boring. He's a very, very good boring. You just don't see a lot of mistakes. You don't see a lot of flashy plays because he's hitting his he's hitting what's open. He's taking what they're giving him and we've seen that all the time with Alex Smith he's not that sort of player he's not an Alex Smith sort of player but that's what these teams are falling in love with with Mac Jones is he makes everything look easy and it's boring and that's a good thing from a quarterback the Washington football team has gotten fairly good praise for the free agent class they've put together so far one of the mailbag questions was well have they got enough pieces to allow Turner to unlock the offense, as they say. Uh, I think it's interesting. The more national guys that we talk to are a lot higher on Scott Turner and the uh, game plan than, than I think the fans are. Uh, Nick, what do you think about that? Yeah, I, I'm i higher than a lot of our fans are. I don't under, I didn't understand the Scott Turner bashing, really. Um, just look at our quarterback play. We had the worst situation at quarterback there. It, it's hard to ask really anything from uh, an offensive coordinator there. Fans love to point at you know, the sort of the mistakes that they make at offensive coordinator, like the weird trick plays that you see when Logan Thomas sort of lines up under center and, and then throws like a, a jet sweep behind him. It's those sort of weird plays that don't work out. People point to that and, and criticize him, but he's, he's very clever in the way he matches guys up. If that makes sense, he, he loves to move people around. He loves to take advantage of smaller guys against bigger guys and bigger guys against smaller guys, if that makes sense. And I like Scott Turner. I like the offense. I like what we're seeing. And I think it's, we'll see the full potential of it with people like McLaurin, uh, Curtis Samuel, even Adam Humphreys. Now um, Antonio Gibson out of the backfield. There's, there's, a, there's so many more weapons that you can play with now. And with someone like Ryan Fitzpatrick, who is going to be willing to throw the ball farther than two yards down the field, you'll finally be able to see what this offense can actually do. 
I've been a big fan of what the Washington football team has done. According to PFF's free agency improvement index, which is written by Kevin Cole, an analyst here at PFF, they're the second most improved team behind the New England Patriots. Did they pay a lot of money to do so? Adding William Jackson, adding Curtis Samuel, adding Humphreys, these different guys, absolutely. But you, you have to pay to improve. Brian Fitzpatrick, probably the biggest reason of that improvement as well. Obviously, he's a huge improvement over what they had between a combination of Dwayne Haskins and Alex Smith. And I think Mike Renner, who's my podcast co-host, and you can follow him on Twitter, PFF underscore Mike, said this the best. He said, this is a lightning in a bottle, you know, Super Bowl team. It's very similar to, not similar, not super similar to, but like what the Philadelphia Eagles had with a combination of Nick Foles and Carson Wentz that season, where they had a really good football team, really good offensive line, good defensive line. And if all things hit, they can stay healthy. And Ryan Fitzpatrick hits that high side of variance. They can make a deep postseason run. Is there, are they set up for long-term success? Not with Ryan Fitzpatrick, that's for sure. Do they have a lot of good players? Absolutely. Do they have a lot of good pieces? Sure. But this is a team that won't be consistently competing for Super Bowls until they get that quarterback of the future. I think it's up to Ryan Fitzpatrick to either shoot the moon with this football team, make a deep, deep postseason run in 2021, or you see that low side of variance, the low side of the roller coaster that is Ryan Fitzpatrick, and they end up drafting inside the top 10, and obviously make a push maybe for Sam Howell, Spencer Rattler, Keaton Slovis. Carson Strong of Nevada, Malik Willis of Liberty. There's a, it's an interesting quarterback class in 2022. Yeah, that's that's sort of what I said when when the Fitzpatrick signing happened. I, they're basically banking on striking that lightning in a bottle, finding that Fitz magic that everyone loves, and hoping that that works throughout the season. And you just don't get Fitz tragic because if you get that side, then like Austin said, you're looking at this next group of quarterbacks. But if you get the Fitz I would magic, also I, I would also say that like this doesn't. Some people I saw some Washington fans say. And this kind of rules them out of going and trading up for a quarterback. Right. It doesn't. It doesn't. It, like if you still, if they want to go up and trade the farm to go get a Lance or a Fields or a Jones, whoever, they can still do that. Like Ryan Fitzpatrick's contract is not limiting them in that regard. The, I would not argue that they can't do that. It's just up to them if they want to make that decision because trading up from 19 to get inside the top six or top five picks is going to cost a lot. And while this roster is good, when you start to make moves like that, they're high-risk moves. And if you're not even getting the fourth or, you know, the third or fourth best quarterback in this class with a trade-up, it starts to get a little scary. And I think that's why maybe the Washington football team sits out of this quarterback class and sees where they can get with Ryan Fitzpatrick and then gets more aggressive in 2022. Yeah, I think after these set of, sets of moves today, after you saw um, the 49ers go up to three, I, I don't think Washington does anything until draft day if they do something because you'd have to see what quarterback falls to four before you pick up the phone, say, Hey, Atlanta, we're ready to move up. Because if you don't have your guy at number four, like Austin said, if you're picking the fourth best quarterback that you have on your board in that draft class, there's just no reason to do that. So if Justin Fields falls to four and they want fields, they love field, then I can see them moving up. But if they don't love what they have there, then they're not going to pull the trigger. And I think that's for any team that wants to trade up right now. Now that it's, kind of seemingly locked into Trevor Lawrence and Zach Wilson at two, and they don't either be Fields or Wilson or Fields, Lance or Jones at three. Then once the Falcons are on the clock and those available quarterbacks are left, that will determine which teams want to go trade up. I don't think you'll see another trade up before draft day. I think you're going to wait to see who the San Francisco 49ers take at number three. Then that'll determine if X team and Y team want to come up for Lance or say just Y team wants to come up for Fields or whatever it may be. What, I'm, I'm curious, Austin, that you had said this because my understanding had been that the teams were in a panic to get quarterback this year because the field wasn't very good for next year's class. You sound like you feel differently. 
So I don't think next year's class will be as good as the 2021 class. I think that it'd be, it'd be very hard for me to say that right now, considering we'll probably see four or five guys go in the first round, but you, you, you know, a lot can change in a year. You know, no one was talking about Zach Wilson as a first rounder a year ago. No one was talking about Mac Jones as a first rounder a year ago. Say, I mean, Trey Lance was obviously Trevor Lawrence and, and Justin Fields has been hyped up for a bit, but he largely solidified that status with what he did this past year. I think you could see similar leaps from a Howell, from a Slovis, obviously a Rattler in 2022. And I think regardless, you need to be swinging the bat at the quarterback position as often as you can if you don't have that quarterback of the future on your roster. I think you're locked into that situation if you're Washington. You're locked into that situation if you're New England or Chicago, those teams drafting at 19, 20, and um, I think what, 21, something along those lines. I think that's where you're at right now. Like that's a very difficult space to be, but that's where you're at. The last one, and I know it, rumbles through Washington football team Twitter is Kadarius Tony. The views of him are all over the place. I'm curious what you guys think of him because I know a lot of people have kind of put him in that 19 range. Yeah, I'll let Austin take more. I just want to like say a few things about Tony because he's he's a draft guy. I just sort of watch these guys on my free time, see what I can pick up. Uh, the analytics community hates Tony. Um, film guys love Tony. I'm sort of in between. I don't mind it at 19. Uh, I, I prefer Bateman. I prefer other wide receivers over him. Um, but yeah, he, he's a very polarizing topic among the, uh, uh, the draft community. I do think that there would be some levels of redundance with uh, Kadarius Tony and Curtis Samuel in the same offense. Like, I mean, you have to design a role for both those guys. And it's not like, I'm not saying Kadarius Tony and Curtis Samuel are the same players, but you're probably going to ask them to do a lot of the same thing. So at a certain point, it's like, what role, who's going to do what? You don't necessarily want them to split touches, especially with how much money you did show Curtis Samuel's way. I think there are other teams that need a Kadarius Tony more than the Washington football team does. That's why I think if you're going to pick a receiver there, so a role that a, a player that makes more sense is Rashad Bateman of Minnesota or potentially Elijah Moore of Ole Miss, guys that can win as separators. Kadarius Tony is still not a good route runner. You know, he's a guy that's really good after the catch, can break tackles, a fun player to watch in a lot of ways, but definitely not a legitimate polished receiver. And I don't think the Washington football team is interested in a guy that they're going to need to polish up, especially in the first round. I don't think a lot of teams are interested in receivers that are unpolished entering the first round, especially after what we saw kind of what with Henry Ruggs. You know, Henry Ruggs, Though he's a better route runner than Kadarius Tony, there were still some levels to his game that were unpolished. I think the Raiders found that out the hard way. And especially now, you see what the Raiders are doing, signing Zay Jones at $2.5 million guaranteed, signing John Brown at $3.2 million guaranteed. They just signed Willie Sneed at what I'm sure will be in that $1 to $2 million guaranteed range. Like, and they have Brian Edwards, and they have Hunter Renfro. They're in a situation where they're not trying to like phase out Henry Ruggs, but they're nervous. They're worried. You know, They're not in a situation where they can completely bank on him developing into that piece of them in year two. Guys, I could have done this all day. I appreciate the time that you gave us. Well, Austin, we'll start with you. Why don't you tell the folks where they can find you and what you got coming up? Absolutely. First thing and foremost, just definitely go to pff.com. Check out all the stuff that we have coming out there uh, on the NFL draft. It's going to be a wild few weeks, it seems like. It's a really cool class. Uh, the quarterbacks and wide receivers and offensive tackles dominating the conversation. You can also follow me on Twitter at pff underscore Austin Gale. That's G-A-Y-L-E. And then wherever you find your podcast, 2-4-1 drafts. Me and Mike are talking draft and rookies all year long. Yeah, 100%. Two for one draft is one of the best podcasts out there. I'm no Renner, so it'll be a bit of an upgrade from, from me to Mike Renner. But uh, yeah, two for one drafts for sure. Follow that, listen to that, all of that. And, and what we know for sure is half of the people will love the show today and half the people will hate the show today. I, I can't think of anything that is more polarizing than PFF. 
<laughs> Some of the best people are polarizing. I'll say that. <laughs> Guys, thank you so much for doing this today. Yeah, no problem.